0: Please turn your Bibles to Galatians four with me. We're looking at uh, this this plea that Paul has to the Galatians, a plea that comes from uh, a an emotional appeal to them. And we're going to look here in Galatians four at verses seventeen through twenty. But let's let's scoot up a little bit. We'll start in verse we'll start in verse eight. And then read through verse 20. And if you're able to, if you'd stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together this morning. Paul writes this. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? We come to verse 17. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish in, of, in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. You may be seated. May God encourage and instruct us through his word this morning. Father, we are grateful to you for this morning. We are grateful to you for the ability to wake up and to arrive here with your saints to worship together and i pray that you would cause us to have hearts that are attentive to you that are full of joy as we contemplate not whatever circumstances we are good or bad but that we would have joy and excitement in you as we think about you and who you are in all things and i pray this in your son jesus name amen in the 1950s, Solomon Ash conducted a series of very famous social science experiments. I, I think I've mentioned these before. I was looking at my notes, and I think I may have mentioned these, these seven years ago, but they're very famous. So I'm going to say them again. I'm going to mention these, these experiments that he did again. Uh, so Solomon Ash, 1950s, and the, the gist of the experiment that he did was this. He would bring eight people into a room at a time, and he would tell them, I'm giving you a vision test. And then he would show them, two pictures. On the picture of on one one of the pictures was a a drawing of a line. And then on the other picture there were drawings of three lines. And the, the lines were labeled A, B, and C. And he said, I want you to tell me which of these three lines most closely matches this line. So is it line A, line B, or line C that most closely matches this line? And then he would go down the row of these eight people, and they would say, B, 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 B. Now, that wasn't really what the experiment was about, though. It wasn't really a vision test. It was really a conformity test, because seven of the people of the eight that were there in the room, he had told beforehand, look, here's how I want you to answer. And seven of them would sometimes answer correctly, But sometimes they would give an obviously wrong answer, like in two-thirds of the times they would just give this obviously wrong answer. And the test was designed to see what is that eighth person going to do. So you know that the right answer is C, it's it's very obvious, but you hear B, 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 and what are you going to say? Are you still going to say C or are you going to say B as well? That was Ash's question. And Ash's hypothesis was that most people—if it was a very obvious wrong answer—most people would still give the right answer. He was wrong. Some 75% of respondents would, at least least one time, would would go ahead and go with an obviously wrong answer. And later they would say, "Look, I—someone say, i knew it was the wrong answer, but I didn't want to look foolish." Others would say, "I thought I knew the right answer, but as people..." we sure that something else was the right answer. I, I really believe that they were right and I was wrong. The, the point being, of course, is that, that you and I are easily influenced. We're easily influenced. Other voices in our lives affect what we think and what we do. I know I didn't mention this seven years ago, but I was reading about social media influencers this week, and you know, social media influencers are people who have like 100,000 followers or more on Instagram or YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is, and, and uh, companies pay these people lots of money to mention their products and services, and they pay them these large amounts of money because they're effective. A social media influencer can really affect how well a product or service does. In fact, there was a survey recently that that found over 40% of us have considered purchasing a product or service that a social media influencer recommended. A third of us have actually done it. They make lots of money just mentioning products and services. By the way, follow me on Instagram. Um, All I need is 99,990 more on my Twitter or Instagram. And and we are talking major building money here. Okay. So (laughs) I can't remember what my my account number is or my username is, but please follow me anyway. Here's our problem. Here's our problem. It's it's threefold. Our, Our problem is that we're easily influenced. And our the other part of our problem is that The majority of voices in our lives do not want us to grow in Christlikeness. The majority of voices in your life do not desire that you become more Christlike. Some of the voices in your life, they don't want you to become more Christ-like because they're not believers and they don't see that as a value, so of course they wouldn't want it. But even those in your life oftentimes who are believers don't desire that you would grow in Christ-likeness because of what it would mean for them. Like if you take the, 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 the admonitions to discipleship and becoming more like Jesus Christ more seriously, that's going to make their lives uncomfortable as well. And so you're very easily influenced. You're more easily influenced than you realize The majority of voices speaking into your life don't want you to become more Christ-like. And finally, the the other part of the problem is that there's a danger, there's an eternal danger for not becoming more Christ-like. It's a danger with eternal consequences. The good news, of course, is that God gives us the ability to discern dangerous spiritual influences. He warns us about them. Every writer of an epistle in the New Testament warns us about dangerous spiritual voices, false teachers who might influence us. And, and here's kind of the, 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 the context again. You know, remember, remember, Paul has been making this appeal from pathos. He's been saying, okay, I, I want you, it's a very emotional appeal, I, I want you to follow the true gospel and remember who I am and the, the gospel plea I made to you. And be aware now, he's saying, as we come to verses 17 through 20, be wary, be aware of those who would seek to influence you in any other way than the way in which the true gospel calls you to be influenced. Here's kind of the main idea, the main point I would have us walk away with this morning. You and I need to be wary. We need to be wary of people in your life who desire something for you other than greater Christ-likeness. You and I need to be wary. We need to be cautious. We need to be cautious of voices in our life who want something for us that is, that is something other than greater Christ-likeness. Well, let me say it this way. There, there are people in your life who want things for you. And if what they want for you is, you know, fill in the blank, they want X for you, and if, if X, if whatever's in that blank, isn't greater Christ-likeness, that's a voice that you need to be cautious of. Sometimes those voices are, are obviously evil and want bad things for you. You know These false teachers, they want you to deny the, the gospel. They want you to pursue a hedonistic lifestyle, a very selfish lifestyle. But sometimes the voices in your life that want something different for you are, are very nice voices. Your, your boss at work is a very nice person, and, and yet what your boss wants for you is, is not greater Christ-likeness perhaps. Or that the friend that you have in the youth group may be a very nice person. They, they want what they think is good, are good things for you, but what they want for you is not, at, at the core, greater Christ-likeness. And so that's a voice you need to be cautious about. There are dangerous spiritual influences in your life. And we can discern those voices as we recognize, look, if, if this voice doesn't want greater Christ-likeness for me, it's, it's a voice I need to be very wary and cautious of. You say, well, how do I, how do I recognize and, and spot dangerous spiritual influences, and, and how do I respond to them? Well, let's, let's look this morning at three thoughts on how we can spot dangerous spiritual influences uh, from, from this text. Here's the first thing. Number one, a dangerous influence, dangerous spiritual influence in your life can be spotted as you realize how this voice gained its influence in your life. So a dangerous spiritual influence, you can recognize it as a dangerous spiritual influence as you begin to realize, how did this voice become influential in my life? So let's look, for example, here what Paul writes at the beginning of verse 17, the first sentence here we have. He says, they, and he's talking here about his opponents, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. Now, there's, there's two things to notice kind of here in the first half of this verse in this, this sentence. First of all, notice that their methods are fleshly. They make much of you. Now, what does that phrase, they make much of you, mean? Well, here's, here's how some other translations translate this word that Paul uses, that the ESV translates, make much of. Uh, the uh, revised English version says, lavish attention on. The, the NASB says, they eagerly seek you. The NIV says they're, they're zealous to win you over. The NET says they, they court, they seek you eagerly. In other words, he's saying, remember I'm, I, I, I uh, had this type of relationship with you. I, remember he talks about the gospel and he says, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now these people, in contrast to me who was telling you the truth, these people are, they're flattering you. They're, they're puffing you up. They're trying to appeal to your flesh so that you'll think well of them. Paul uses this word other places as well. In 1 Corinthians, he uses this word to describe the desire a person should have for spiritual gifts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2, Paul says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. So this this word means you're desiring the good opinion of someone else. And the opponents of Paul here, they're their motives are flesh their uh, methods are fleshly. They're, they're appealing to the flesh of the Galatians so that the Galatians will think well of them. That means that their, their motives are fleshly too. So both the, the methods and the motives of these opponents of Paul are fleshly. They're appealing to the flesh using various means to get the Galatians to think well of them. They're flattering them, they're puffing them up. They're doing these things to help the Galatians think well of them. And that's the danger. The true gospel destroys, right? The true gospel destroys us. As we hear the true gospel, we come to the end of ourselves. The false gospel builds us up. If you want to determine whether or not an influence in your life is a good or bad influence or a spiritually dangerous influence, look at how that voice seeks to gain a foothold in your life. Are they, are they doing so by appealing to your love for God and his glory or your love for yourself? Think about 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, Paul warns Timothy about these dangerous voices, and he begins to describe these false teachers and listen to the, the, the fleshly motives and methods of these false teachers in 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, but understand this, in the last days there are going to be times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And Paul says, avoid such people. And then he he contrasts what Timothy, so that's the false teachers that Paul tells Timothy about. And Then he contrasts Timothy's ministry. He says, but you, Timothy, I, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. So here are the false teachers, and here's their their fleshly motives and their desires and their methodology. Here's the things that they're passionate about. And Paul says, look, Timothy, here's what you need to do. Here's here's your tool of influence. It's, It's God's word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers, what? To, to suit their own passions, their own fleshly desires. They're going to turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. But the point is this, you and I need to watch ourselves. We're less, we're less savvy than we think we are. I was reading a study this past week about uh, some researchers who were observing the brain as the brain made decisions about which products to purchase. You know, People are making decisions about which product they're going to purchase. And as, as we're making decisions about what products to purchase, we think that we're using our intellect. We, we think that we're, we're making rational decisions. But what they found is that whenever people are making decisions about products to buy, the, the parts of their brain that are lighting up are the, the parts of the brains that deal with emotion, right? And the parts of the brain that deal with analytics and, and logic and reason, like, those, like they were out to lunch. You know, nothing was going on there, right? So we've been having this discussion in our family. You, know, you think about the, the decision between buying an, an Android and an iPhone. You think that you're making a, a rational decision. You're thinking, okay, well, this ha- phone has this and this phone has that. But, but really, it's emotional, especially those of you who are buying Android phones, right? Um, just kidding, Austin. Um, watch yourself. You're, you're less savvy than you think. There There's a, 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 another study called A Tale of Two Chickens. And they had these, these two chickens and one was this, this nice uh, plump big chicken and one was a scrawny chicken. And they told half the people that the plump chicken was tasty but not healthy. And then they told the other half of the people this: it's healthy but not tasty. And what they found was that Everybody chose the plump. those who were going to eat chickens, said, yeah, that's the type of chicken I would like to eat, but they gave different reasons for why they would want to do so. Those who had been told it was healthy said, oh, well, I prefer healthy chickens. Those who were told it was tasty, oh, well, I prefer tasty chickens. Everybody wanted to eat, you know, plumpy over here, but then after they emotionally decided that's what they want to do, what do they do? They found facts to kind of back it up. You and I are less savvy than we think. We're influenced by people. And the dangerous influences in your life are often going to gain that influence, not through an appeal to the spirit, but an appeal to the flesh. And as you think about how to live the Christian life, understand I'm going to be influenced by people, and I need to be very careful about what, what tools they're using to influence me. And I can, I can ask, as I, as I think through how is this person gaining a foothold in my life, what do I find appealing about them? Sometimes I can realize, look, this person has gained an influence by appealing to my flesh. You say, well, what do you mean Just Practically. There are going to be voices in your life that try to to teach you things about the Scripture. And they're going to say, they're going to appeal to the flesh of your your intellectual pride. Look, you know, this is what intelligent people think. Intelligent people don't believe the the, the Bible is historically accurate. They don't believe that it's literally true. And so the the voices in your life are going to appeal to your intellectual pride. And you say, well, I don't want to be stupid. I want to be an intellectual person. And so as your appeal, that fleshly desire to, to want to appear a certain way in the world is going to cause you to view Scripture in a certain way, potentially. Or maybe it's going to be the appeal... To conformity. Look, this is what all of us think. This is how all of us are going to live the Christian life. These are the movies that all of us are going to watch. And so you want your your flesh is appealed to. I don't want to be different. I want to conform to the tribal evangelical world. And so this is what I'm going to believe or think, or this is how I'm going to live my life. The flesh can be appealed to in terms of the idol of ease. Look, if this is the level of discipleship that that everybody else is living man just be just be happy with that this is how all of all of us have made this decision about how we're going to to follow jesus in discipleship and yeah i know some people would say you need to live this way but here's what we're all doing and so there's going to be this appeal to the flesh look i, I don't want to live a hard life i like ease and so those we're going to be influenced we're going to think well this is the right way to live but really we're not being appealed to by the spirit but by the flesh those, those voices have become influential, not by appealing to Scripture and God's Word and true teaching, but, hey, this is what my flesh wants to do anyway. Or maybe it's, we're going to be appealed to through, through legalism, and I think that's what's happening here in Galatians. Look, I mean, you're, I think this is what the false teachers are telling these people. Look, like, you can do this. You have the ability to... to to be obedient before God in and of yourself. You have the ability to do this, Galatians, and so the the appeal of legalism, I I want to be able to say I can follow the rules, and those people can't. It's an appeal to my flesh, my pride. I need to watch very carefully as I think about the Christian life that I want to live, and I think about the voices that are influencing me and and helping me to understand Scripture and what God would want for, for me, I need to ask myself, how have these voices become influential? Isn't it an appeal to my intellectual pride? Isn't it an appeal to my flesh? Isn't it an appeal to my, my legalistic tendencies? I need to be very careful. A message that says you're awesome is much more appealing than a message that says you're terrible and you need the gospel. Paul says, look, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. That brings us to the second, the second way we can spot a dangerous influence. A dangerous influence can also be spotted as you realize what, its true desires are. I can recognize dangerous spiritual voices as I recognize what people's true desires are as they seek to influence me. Paul says this, second half of verse 17, they want to shut you out that they may make much of you. So what does that mean? This is a helpful principle for us to think about for at least two reasons. First of all, I think it's helpful for us as we think about the influences in our life to be able to recognize false teachers or, or, or bad influences. That, that's good, right? We, here's bad influence. It's telling me bad things. I can recognize it as I recognize what its desires are, so problem solved. But let me, let me suggest this to you. This is also helpful for us to think about because we are spiritual influencers, And we need to carefully analyze our own desires and motives as well, because there's a warning in this for us to not be false shepherds and dangerous spiritual influences as well, because I will tell you this, the desires of a false teacher certainly reside within the dark recesses of my soul. I want Christ to deal with those, right? So notice two things about what what Paul says here, that they want to shut you out that you may make much of them. First of all, notice this. Notice what their plan is. Their plan, these opponents of Paul, that their plan is to influence the Galatians in such a way that there's a relational separation between them and Paul and the true church. They want to shut you out. They want you to, to follow this, this path to Judaism, to remove you from me and my influence and the church. So that's what their plan is. And what is their desire? What's their objective in doing so? Their desire, this is what their desire is. Their desire is that the Galatians will exalt them. They want to shut you out. They want to remove you from my influence and from the, the fellowship of the true church so that you will make much of them. So that just like they made much of you, now you'll make much of them and you'll exalt them. You'll be their followers and they'll gain influence and they'll have prestige and you will be their disciples. That's their fleshly desire. As you look at dangerous spiritual influences, you can always spot within them fleshly desires. Not the desire for God to be exalted in Christ's name to be lifted up, but a desire for fleshly things. Listen to what Peter says as he talks about false teachers in 2 Peter. He talks about these false teachers. He says they're bold and willful. They don't tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. He he says as he goes on, he talks about how they have, um, they're like irrational animals. This is verse twelve of Second Peter two, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. Verse thirteen, suffering wrong as the wage for their doing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they they feast with you. Verse fourteen. They have. Eyes full of adultery, they're insatiable for sin, they entice unsteady souls, they have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children forsaking the right way, they've, they've gone astray, they fall the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. He loved, he, loved to do, he loved to receive financial gain for doing the things that God would not have him do. He was rebuked for, for his own transgression A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These these influences are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live, uh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error they promise them freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved goes on but you get the idea right what do these what do these people desire fame prestige influence financial gain there's sexual perversion. There's doctrinal deception. They're, they are deceive themselves and they're deceiving other people. Their desire is to turn people away from true biblical Christianity. Instead of having people say, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ with my entire life and whatever it requires of me to be obedient to Jesus, that's what I'm going to do. Their goal is something far, far less, far more insidious. Their desire is to have people who will follow them and pursue the same fleshly desires that they have. This affects us as we become fleshly as well. Paul would tell the Corinthians, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. He would say that in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. In 2 Corinthians 6, he would give this warning. 2 Corinthians 6, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Paul recognizes the danger of close alignments with those whose desires are something fleshly. Proverbs 22. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked, the wicked are not so, the wicked are like the chaff, that the wind drives away and therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will will, will perish there's two ways to think about this right there's multiple ways to think about this but two ways we can think about this in terms of application one is to, to look at the people in our life and, and ask this question. We say, okay, um, these, these people that I'm around, first of all, I have to ask myself, how, how are they influencing me? What, what, what thoughts about my Christian life and about my, my finances and about my morality, about what shows I, I think are okay, what media I think is okay to consume, how I spend my time reading scripture and in prayer and in practicing the spiritual disciplines? How have my thoughts about those things been shaped by the people that I'm around? And then I also ask this question I ask the question the people who are influencing me, what's their desire? Here's this person, and I realize, you know, I think this person has been incredibly influential in shaping my beliefs about life and about how I spend my time and how I spend my money and how I parent my children or how I hang out with my friends. This is an influential voice. I need to realize that. Now, what's their desire? Sometimes it's insidious. Sometimes it's very obviously sinful. But, but maybe, maybe sometimes we're influenced by, by very nice people. You know, my, my, my co-worker is a nice person. But how he has been spending his money has influenced how I'm spending my money. My my friend at school is a is a great person. They're very they really in their uh, their desire for me is not not bad. They they want good things for me. And and yet my coworker, my friend at school, their desire, their desires are, are fleshly, that they're appealing to to the flesh. They don't think that they're harming me. They, they want good things for me, too. In fact, if I were to share with them, look, here's how I think I should live my life, they think, oh, my, my how sad, right? As Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, we're of all people most to be pitied. So first of all, I, I just ask myself the question, okay, the, the people who are influencing how I think about life, what's their desire? What's their desire for me in this relationship, and, and what, what, do, what do they want for me? And then secondly, I also need to ask the question, as I'm around other people, what's my desire for them? Is is it a fleshly desire? What do I want in this relationship? What what am I striving for? And oftentimes, I may be very concerned to realize, look, in my relationship, my my desires are about self-worship. They're very fleshly. This is. I am not a positive spiritual influence in this person's life, and, and that needs to change. And that brings us to the, the third point I want us to consider, number three. A dangerous influence can be spotted as you realize what its true desire is not. So the second point deals with what the true desire is. You recognize it's, it's a fleshly desire. And now... You can also see that it's a dangerous influence as you see what what it's not. You you recognize that it's lacking something very significant. And Paul, Paul describes what his passion is for them in verses 18 through 20. And if I'm a person in Galatia reading this letter and Paul says, look, this is what I want for you. I'm going to read this and think, well, that's what Paul wants. And what these other voices want is something far different than this, I need to listen to Paul and not to them. In other words, again, a dangerous influence can be spotted as you realize what its true desire is not. Listen to what Paul says. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. In other words, it's always good to be influenced for good. If your desire is to influence someone for the glory of God, that's a good thing, right? Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 says, You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Peter would say this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He would say, you're a a chosen race. This is verse 9 To abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. It's always good if if your desires is, is, is God glorifying desires. It's good to live in a way that you influence others so they think good of you, so they think good of God, they think well of you, so they think well of God. That's good. But that's not what is happening here with Paul's opponents. Paul says it's, it's always good to be made much of for a, for a good purpose. So it's, it's good to, to, to be influenced for good. If your desire is to influence someone for the, for the glory of God, that's a good thing. And Paul says when, when I'm present and when I'm absent, I have this longing for you to go and to grow in Christ. He says, not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. In other words, Paul says, look, I'm present or absent. I have this longing for you. I'm like a parent. First Corinthians four. He would say, I'm your father in Christ. In First Thessalonians 2, he says, I was like a father with his children. I think in 1 Thessalonians 2, he also uses the analogy of being like a mother. And so he says, I'm like this parent to you. And as a parent, I have this anxiety, oppressing anxiety, this desire, and this anguish, this anguish like the anguish of childbirth. I want Christ to be formed in you. And so he's kind of mixing some metaphors here in kind of a weird way from our perspective, but he's saying, "Look, just like in the anguish of childbirth, I, I, want, I, want, uh, I have this desire for you, and my desire is that, that Christ would be being, being formed in you, that you'd be becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. You'd be gr- gaining maturity. As people look at you, they would more and more see Jesus Christ and not you." The anxiety that Paul feels on this point is pressing. This passion that he has for their growth in Christ's likeness is all-consuming. Paul would talk about his difficulties in 2 Corinthians 11, and he would talk about the terrible things that had happened to him about being whipped and and with the lashes about being beaten with rods about being stoned about being shipwrecked and all the different things that he had had undergone from different people and the toil and the hardship and the the hunger and the thirst the sleepless nights the cold the exposure and then he would say on top of all that here's the big thing he says and apart from the other things there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches isn't that an amazing thing? Paul has this all-consuming passion. It's Colossians 1, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that what so we may present every person complete or mature in Christ. It is Paul's all-consuming passion that the people who he is influencing will grow in Christ's likeness, that they will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul wants for them. he's probably talking about them not just as individuals, he wants each one to be convinced of the right understanding of the gospel, but he's also talking about the maturity that he wants there to be in in the churches there in Galatia. A group of people living in relationship with one another in the confidence of the gospel, that's what Paul wants. Now, the lack of that longing on the part of his opponents is troubling. You can spot a dangerous spiritual influence as you recognize what its desires are, but you can also recognize a dangerous spiritual influence as you recognize what its desires are not. The people in your life who you should be listening most closely to are those whose passion is to see Christ formed in you the people in your life whose voices you should be listening most closely to about how to think about life and how to think about friendships and how to think about morality and how to think about scripture and how to think about uh, parenting and and how to think about a job situation. The voices that you should be listening most closely to are the voices in your life whose soul-consuming passion above all other things in your life, far above your ease, above your financial prosperity, above relationships, whose all-consuming passion is to see you becoming more like Christ. Those are the voices that you should cling to and hold most passionately to, and any voice who wants something besides that for you is a voice that you should be wary of. And conversely, you and I should be the voices in people's lives that are most passionately calling them to greater Christ-likeness. That's what God's call upon us is. That's Paul's all-consuming passion for the Galatians. And his perplexion is, why are you acting the way you are? You know the true gospel. You know the love that I have for you. You know my passion for you. Why would you be swayed by these false teachers? There's perpetual anguish that parents have for their children. I've always heard that was true and... I, now as I'm entering a new peer group with, with parents of older children, it's, it's interesting to me how, I mean, I heard people say this all the time, you never stop worrying about your children. I thought it was just like propaganda. I didn't know if it really meant that, you know. But now as we enter that, that, you begin to enter that phase or think about that phase, he's, oh, this is true. This is true. And Paul, whether he's present or away, feels this anguish, right? Present or away, he, he loves these people. And he wants to see them become more like Christ. Brothers and sisters, not everyone in your life wants you to be more like Christ. Not everyone in your life wants you to be more like Christ. Some people expressly want you to be less like Christ. Some of the people in your life want you to be just kind of like Christ. Not everyone in your life wants you to become more and more like Christ. It's a problem. We're easily influenced. God in his graciousness reveals How we can spot these dangerous spiritual influences, and he allows his spirit to convict us of how we need to be greater spiritual influences to others. We don't be wary of people in our life who desire something for us that's not greater Christ likeness. By God's grace, let's pursue Christ likeness through faith, not by works, together. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you for your desire for us. We recognize that you and your grace. I provide the true gospel, a true gospel that tears us down and doesn't build us up. That causes us to, to see our righteousness not in ourselves, but only in your son, Jesus. And we pray that we would trust in him and him alone for the righteousness that we need to stand before you. And then, by your grace, through faith, continue to help us be conformed to the image of your son. Help us to conform one another through, through love and gentle exhortation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.